Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore a Retreat. How are you, Simone? I'm good. How are you, Stella? I'm you good. You knew it was going to come up. You knew it. <laughs> My been... voice, it's a little scratchy, but it's finally recovering. Finally. The yeah. finalist. Finalist for finalist. the Stella competition as part of the Tennessee Williams Literary Festival this past weekend. I went down with uh, yes. my friend. Uh, you knew I was going. You knew where I, I was going. I had a friend in town, you know, who was visiting and wanted to see it. And so we went down. I was assuming I would just be observing. In fact, I was told we'd have a table overlooking it at Tableau. Mm. Turned out that that wasn't the case. That it <laughs> wasn't even visible from Tableau. <laughs> so we walked down. My friends signed up. They encouraged me to sign up. I did. Immediately regretted it. No, sir. But then, you know, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Go all the way. So I... Uh, I made it to the finals. Was that your green hoodie you were wearing? It, it was. I wasn't dressed like Stanley, so I had to... Oh, is that you, a thing you're supposed to wear, the white I t-shirt? I think so. A lot of people mm-hmm. wear the white t-shirt, and, you know, I think the people that won had the white t-shirt. But, um, but yeah, it was fun. I Again, my voice was pretty, uh, you know, tired, uh, to say the least, after it. But, I, you know, I've been... I, I like to say I didn't win, but I, I'm the media darling of the competition. I um, loved every bit of it. I want you to know that your fan club was super excited about it. Um, v was the first one to tell me. And then Joni was like, oh, he had it. He had it. You know, and, and the chess beat at the end. And then when Victoria told me that you were like the caption for it. So I'm sitting on that, okay. too. I'm well, going to use if, that as a meme you in the were, future. Um, you know, I loved um, every single bit of it. It was you're so out new. there and you're listening and you're booking talent for CSI New Orleans, yes. Yes. you can refer to my... Uh, <laughs> um, Victoria was like, um, I was so concerned for Jacques just looking at that picture. Like, something's really wrong with that dude. <laughs> like, you know, he's like, you were in it, right? I guess my years in of uh, improv I think have so. paid off. I was going to credit Delta Dispatch, but Delta no dispatches. acting here. This yeah, is just exactly. us. We keep it real. How have you been? Everything's good. Busy week. Yeah. Busy couple weeks. And There's so. been some national media attention yes, to, yes. to our issue, which is always great to see. Yeah. We, A lot of our friends... We always have interesting um, things pop up. Um, earlier this week, we had the Weather Channel in town. Uh, they made it in town for very nice weather. But uh, back in late January, NBC News came, and um, they did a, a pretty extensive look at um, Port Fouchon about the coastal program here. Uh, they interviewed Brent Haas, uh, Clint Wilson, mm-hmm. Rudy Simino, some of our friends. Alex Colker. Alex Colker. Um, and they looked at yeah. diversions uh, in depth, too. And so um, that's available online now. We were just yeah, discussing NBC news yeah yeah their whole um you know a series of of mm-hmm. videos about it so definitely check it out yeah. um well i'm so excited to be talking about the people side of things yes. today and particularly yes. communities communities right here in new orleans and um you know what's at stake in terms of coastal um restoration and the importance of resilience uh, I'm so excited to have join us Angela Chalk, Executive Director with Healthy Community Services. Angela is a fourth-generation Seventh Ward resident. Um, she currently serves as president for the Louisiana Public Health Association, former secretary of the 5th District Police Community Advisory Board, a foundation for Louisiana Lead the Coast, Cohort Fellow, a Global Green Waterwise Champion designee, um, executive director of Health, Healthy Community Services That's a lot again. Of hats. I, you're busy, Angela. <laughs> That's a lot of hats. I am, and I'm right right now. I'm the immediate past president for Louisiana Public Health Association. Okay. Um, Dr. Holcomb is serving as our current president, and um, yeah, it's a lot of hats. I'm 
also in farm school. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. Tell us about yeah. that. Um, farm school is a, um, a cohort. It's the first cohort with Grow Louisiana, uh-huh. and it teaches um, folks about um, agriculture. And so I got involved with that this summer, uh, this spring, and this summer. So I'll finish that up in the in the fall. Do you have to grow something? Yes, you have to grow <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> yes, uh, vegetables, fruit, and we need to put you in touch with Henri Boulet, who has a very extensive urban garden. It takes over his backyard. We have to put you in touch with him. He great. He's, a, a little piece of farm right there in the middle of Ferret. <laughs> and, and actually, I have a um, a container orchard in oh, my yard. So, nice. um, it, it serves as um, an educational space as well. So, Angela, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, fourth generation, seventh ward resident. <laughs> you know, what does this city mean to you? And just like, tell us a little bit about your back, your personal life. Um, I'm proud to say that I'm a Dillard alum. Uh, folks who know me know you have that. A uh, shirt on. Yes, I have For a Dillard shirt. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, um, living in a house that my grandfather won in a card game, um, and I know people <laughs> find that interesting. And at the time. Um, it was his way of making a living. Mm-hmm. Um, he he ran cards, and so for me to still be able to have that family property in the in the family and live there. And the other day, I was thinking about that. Five generations have lived in that house, wow. and so for me to be the steward of that house is just an honor. And uh, I hope he's proud of what I'm doing with the property. Are you a good card player? I, th- this is You're- the lesson that he taught us. <laughs> you know, never um, spend money you can't afford to lose. And while I can I can um, play cards with the best of them, I, I don't because I don't like losing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that what you're saying right now is something that is very familiar for a lot of people in New Orleans. I mean, a lot of times people, you know, m- grew up and moved down the block from the house that they grew up in. Um, of course, you know, Katrina and other things have made that a little bit more difficult. But can you talk about what makes that fabric of our community so strong here in New Orleans? It, because you have a sense of community. You know who you are. You, you're protected by the people that are around you. And so when it gives you the opportunity to go outside of the world, and we were talking about this earlier, um, being trolled on the Internet, that doesn't matter to me because I know who I am and who I belong to. So when other folks are coming at you, if you're not spiritually based and if you don't have the love and support of your family and friends, then you will be lost. And that's what New Orleans offers, that connections for families. Um, And it goes back generations. So I I, I don't know anything else but to to be grounded in who I am. Um, And all of us, uh, even today, we still support each other in our endeavors. We're still in contact. And when I meet someone, it's like... um, this is my cousin. They're like, you have a lot of cousins. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, welcome to New Orleans, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Angela, you know, the, in a community, you can't really hide from who you are. They already know who you are. They watched you grow up. You, you know, do you find that also difficult to change, right? You know, because people are very used to it being one way. You know, you do a lot of things about change. Do you think that's difficult or do you think it's better coming from someone within their own community? It's absolutely better coming from someone in the community because, first of all, I live there. So if I am if I do something or say something that's wrong and it has um, adverse consequences to people, they know where I live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> They're going to be knocking on right, your door. Right, they yeah. will be. And it's, it's not unusual for someone to knock on your door and, you know, ask for help or especially the elders 
Um, and when I was working for state Medicaid, they would come to me and say, I need this filled out. And so the investment was made in me to go to school. And I'm just giving a return on an investment with dividends from what I was raised from in, in my family, and as well as my other cousins. So what I'm doing is not unique. When I hear people say that, I'm like, well, we do this all the time. And I, I love the people that um, that I live with. You know, some of them not so much, but I still <laughs> love them. And I know that whatever happens to me affects them as well because we're in close proximity mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah, everyone has that cousin, right? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> well, I want to hear more about um, Healthy Community Services and kind of the, some of the work that you're doing right now. We have to head into a break, but if you don't mind sticking around, we have so much more to touch on. Oh, sure, I'll be here. All right, well, you're listening to Delta Dispatches. Um, We have Angela Chalk with Healthy Community Services, and we'll be right back after the break. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org slash Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore and Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. We have Angela Chalk with us. She's the Executive Director of Healthy Community Services. What is that, Angela? Tell us a little bit about it. You're the Executive Director, uh, executive director but you also started it. Yes, I'm the founder of Healthy Community Services. And it started out of a need post-Katrina for, um, for food. 
and having access to healthy food sources because we were lacking in availability of food. And so we piloted a program um, called Backyard Containers, Container Gardening. And as a result of that, residents learned how to do their own backyard container gardening because people were still unsure about the soil and then we were still moving around. So you could you could um, be mobile mm-hmm. with your garden. And so that started at Dillard University. <laughs> My alum. I'm shocked. (laughs) And we had 15 participants in that pilot program. And of those 15 participants, 12 of them went on to successfully do their backyard container gardening program. Very cool. Very cool. And and then we um, eventually came into the water segment with a, after I had a conversation with my niece about flooding uh, at her um, school and so I'm like, what is this green infrastructure thing? And she explained to me that their playground was repetitively um, flooded and that they had put in a rain garden to reduce that flooding. And so I realized that if kids could do it, then what could we do at the neighborhood level? And that's where we came in from that. And what are some of those things that, you know, people can do in their own backyard, you know, to, as we say, live with water? And so Healthy Community Services provides workshops and trainer, training so that folks can do that DIY hands-on projects. And some of the things that people can do as simple as a rain barrel. Um, a food-grade rain barrel can harvest fifty-five gallon, up to 55 gallons of water. So that water you can retain and then use for other purposes other than food. You can wash your car. You can water plants. So that water is not getting into the storm system. And then I have um, a bioswale that is the maximum capacity is 350 gallons of water. And so that water never gets into the storm system because it's feeding native plants. Um, those plants started at a, out at about two inches when we planted them five years ago, and they're four to feet, four feet tall. And the irises are blooming right oh, now. Oh, that is! That. I saw that right. on the news. Yeah. That's so, beautiful. Yeah, and it's still exciting when it rains. When you see the water go into the bioswale and then it percolates and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, that's still exciting. The other things that people can do are planter box. And you can do these at any scale. So if you're in a small area, as long as you're doing your share and you're incrementally creating that change, that the water is not getting into the storm system or we're um, raising the water table because we have in-ground or we're helping to clean the pollutants out of our water that's going into Lake Pontchartrain. Those are the things that we're empowering our our neighbors to do and engaging them and educating them around those those topics. Um, You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about like these issues at such a global scale, right? And like, you know, what's happening at the city level, the regional level, the state level. But I mean, it is so um, inspiring to see that, you know, you can do things in your own backyard that can really make a difference, you know, even in your own property and in your community. So that's great. What's interesting for me is um, my neighbors, when they see a project going in, well, how come I didn't know about it? I don't know because (laughs) we've promoted it. And when you go to one of the sites, one of the barbershops, um, and you have men in the barbershop talking about green infrastructure, and we're, they're beginning that conversation, that's exciting to me. Or if you go to one of the local bars and they're all sitting out there debating whether or not this works or not, and then those who have seen it work when it rains, and it's like, Angela knows what she's talking about, so you saying Angela is a liar? <laughs> That's part of that community part. Yeah, that's a part of that community part, yeah. She said it works, and I've I've seen it work. So that's exciting. 
when you hear a bar owner talking about green infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, it's that organic kind of education and outreach that's kind of happening at the community from the ground up, right? right. And meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the important thing. And listening to what the residents say that they want. And th- this this is not new because as we plant trees, we're finding those um, oyster shells and clam shells that are in that heavy clay soil that the Mississippi River has built up over thousands of years. And they were doing some sort of green infrastructure um, way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, as we excavate, we find things, and the students who help excavate, uh, es- let's hope I'm saying it mm-hmm. right, excavate um, the, the sites, the students are finding, uh, the Lusher students just found a intact Coca-Cola bottle oh. that was manufactured here at the Coca-Cola plant, and it has the stamp on it. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. And so they're learning a lesson about um, pollutants and how things don't break down in the soil. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I'm an avid gardener, and Mm -hmm. I often find shells in my yard, but I also have found other things. And so you never Mm -hmm. know what you're going to find when you dig that up. But um, I want to talk a little bit about you're helping educate people in the community and at schools, but you're also helping to educate people in the halls of Congress. So you recently testified (laughs) um, at the House Subcommittee on Water, Oceans and Wildlife. Um, There was a hearing, Healthy Oceans and Healthy Communities, the State of Our Oceans in the 21st Century. What was that experience like? Uh, First of all, it, it was unbelievable. I didn't even think that when I got the call and the email that this was real. I'm like, okay, this is another <laughs> robocall. Um, but to participate in democracy at that level was um, life-changing for me. And it wasn't until after I saw the video that I broke down because I saw the impact of my words and then the internet blew up. But bringing the attention um, and bringing our issues to a national stage has has real consequences. I hope that I put a face to it because I asked the the panel to remember my face. No matter what the graphs show, and one of the other panelists who was in the negative, he was like, but it's minor changes. And I reminded him that those minor changes on his graph were me. It was my neighbors. It was the people across the coast of Louisiana. And what's unique about our coast is that it's a working coast with working people, with real people that have dire consequences. So if your scale uh, or your graph goes up a, a millimeter, or t- that's somebody. And that's what I wanted Congress to realize when they make those decisions, that you're affecting people's real life. Whether you believe climate change is real or not, there is um, scientific data and the data of the people who are living it and experience it every day. Yeah, I I don't I don't think I would be brave enough. So I <laughs> applaud you for that. Um I, I think that's amazing. I mean, I think to be able to be asked to do something like that and and but to come through it and and be so powerful. I think that's really really amazing. And, and being on a panel with those other four other three women from across the state, we had a a lobster woman there. We had um, Queen Quet of the Gullah Nation. And the former EPA director, and I didn't even realize it was the former EPA director there. And I'm like, the little girl from the Seminole is sitting across the table. <laughs> the former EPA director and the queen of a Gullah Nation and the lobster woman who runs the um, Lobster Association. I'm like, wow, this really is a big deal. <laughs> so I remain, I remain humble because it's not about Angela. It's about the, the work and the people so that we can protect our culture and our heritage. And all across the Louisiana, it's faith, food, and family. I love that. Um, Well, we have so much more to talk about. We want to talk about some exciting things you have going on this week, um, as well as, you know, you have been 
Simone likes to talk about my field trips. You have been going far and wide to experience <laughs> Louisiana's coast. So we want to talk about that too. Um, we're about to head into a break, but we'll be right back. Um, and as always, you can listen to our prior episodes on deltadispatches.org. Um, and yeah, subscribe, rate us, like us, share us with rate your friends. Us, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, we're so excited to continue the conversation with Angela Chalk right after the break. We'll be right back on WGSO 998. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. You're listening on WGSO 990, Google Play, iTunes, Jock was talking about rating us. Not so sure about that. Uh, I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat. And I'm Jacques Bear with Environmental Defense Fund. We're switching it up a little this week. And Stella's going to have the, the coastal stat of the week. So this is uh, more, it is a coastal stat, but it's more of a kind of coastal excerpt um, from the New Yorker article that Elizabeth Colbert recently published about coastal Louisiana. And it's, Plaquemines has the distinction, a dubious one at best, of being among the fastest disappearing places on earth. Everyone who lives in the parish, and fewer and fewer people do, can point to some stretch of water that used to have a house or a hunting camp on it. This is true even of teenagers. A few years ago, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration officially retired 31 Plaquemines place names, including Bay Joaquin and Dry Cypress Bayou, because there was no there there anymore. Well, I had to let the Plaquemines native read that. I know. So sad. It's, it's really sad, but it also it kind of helps us understand what we're fighting for and like the urgency of what we're doing. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the writing and the framing of the mm-hmm. article is so beautiful in the way that like, you know, but it is something that we have to think about and confront every day of the reality and that this is something that's not off in the future. It's happening to people. It already has happened. It's continuing to happen. And unless we act, it's going to happen to more people. And when we had the media fly over this week, um, that came up. That actually came up. Like, tell us again about these names that are retired. They they needed some more explanation to that. And the best way to do it was to show some aerial maps of this is what it used to look like. This is what it looks like now. And so it was interesting to have that conversation with somebody um, because it was not I don't under what do you mean mm-hmm. like what do you mean it's not there anymore you know so that was a really interesting conversation to have but um, that's something we talk about a lot as Plaquemines mm-hmm. and as Plaquemines native right we hit on that a lot Angela you've experienced some coastal connection events down there right um, that, yes, I did. that some of the open houses and some of the events that CPRA is trying to have down there so let's talk about first like let's talk about the coastal connections on the water um, you experienced that. Had you been out there before, or what? What was this? Was maybe one of your first impressions of this coastal Let me connections say this. event? I'm a city girl, Seventh Ward, true and true. But um, to experience our coast at that level, both by land, I'm sorry, by water um, and air, and to be able to see what the effects are of climate change, it was just life changing for me. Um, I can't express, and as you read about that, about the, and that's exactly what we're talking about, communities that are vanishing, that are no longer there. So with that goes um, your history, your culture, and, and the people. So the people, where do they go? And how, do, how are they shifted up? So that shift impacts um, those of us on higher land and in urban areas. And so I've been blessed to see what it looks like from the air, to see the the levee that protects the city. I've also been blessed to be able to see how our restoration efforts are rebuilding the land back. And let me just tell the audience, 
if you live in urban in the urban part of the the state new orleans we are not that far from the coast and without those trees to buffer the storm surge we're just another storm away from being um, beachfront property here in Orleans Parish. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist to say that to anyone. This is real. This is happening now, not 50 years from now, right now. And you and I were, were mentioning that we had a chance to experience um, uh, Senator Whitehouse when he was in town. He's from Rhode Island. We went out to Davis Pond, and you can see the city skyline so clearly. Clearly. From, from Davis Pond, which is just in Luling, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so nice for him to get out there. But then you experienced some time with him as well. Yes, I participated in a roundtable with, um, with Senator Whitehouse. And it was moving in the fact that Rhode Island has some of the same um, effects that we have. The difference is, is that our coast is a working coast. And the connection that I drew from that, that if in 50 years, if we don't do anything, we will lose land the size of state of, of the state of Rhode Island. And so um, the impact of our coast is, is reaching inland to those um, industries that supply goods and services for the sportsmen. So it's, it's not only in, impacting us, but the bottom line is it's coming down to dollars. Um, everyone's beginning to realize that this coast is important not only to us, but for the economics of it and for other industries that are not directly on the coast. Yeah, Representative Graves was out there with us, with with the senator, and in his newsletter this week he made that point Mm -hmm. that, you know, it is something to tell one of your colleagues Mm -hmm. that his state would no longer exist if that were Louisiana, because we've lost the same square footage. I mean, that's, that's impactful, you know, and so on a couple of different levels. Right. And like you mm-hmm. said, not just to see and throw a fact out there, but I love what you said about putting a face to that, mm-hmm. right? Right. So. And, and here's the other thing, the habitat, the natural habitat, the fisheries. Uh, we all enjoy what we love about southeast Louisiana and, and across the state. Um the food, the fisheries, the, the community. So we don't save those. The very things that makes us who we are, we won't have it anymore. And so, Angela, I mean, I think one of the things that's so great about you and your organization is you provide accessibility and education to so many people. Um, and you recently, I mean, you've flown over the Mississippi <laughs> River, you've gone out on a boat, but you've also seen a massive uh, large-scale physical model at the Center for River Studies. So what was that like, and how does that help people understand what's going on? That connects the science. All of us are not scientists. But when you can see that model, and it's a, it's a massive model um, that, that they're doing there, and to be able to predict or project what's going to happen in real time using the science, that has an impact for people as well. And then you can duplicate that in real time in the river. So the science plays an important role in helping us to understand it. Now, what has to happen with the science is that we have to communicate it in a way that everyday people understand it and also respect what everyday people are experiencing. And so I would say visit that with your school, with your kids. Go to yourself. It's a beautiful facility. And you help, um, you know, all ages, but I know, uh, you know, youth understand the kind of the environment. And I had the opportunity to bring our 360 video to a fishing camp and not, it's fishing camps, not like what you're thinking of fishing <laughs> camp, but a summer camp uh, focused on fishing um, for kids in New Orleans last summer. Tell us about that camp. Well, you're, that like, was... the, you're like the summer camp counselor. The, <laughs> you did a couple of them last year. It's a great way to do it, though. Yeah. And what happened with that? We were trying to introduce the kids to understand about our environment. 
we are fortunate to have three types of waters here in southeast Louisiana, freshwater, brackish water, and salt water. And so where kids who uh, live in the inner city or poor kids or kids who have come from working families, they don't have those extra dollars to take tours out into the swamp or the, to, or the marsh to see what's going on. And so that 360 tour helped provide that to kids in real time and they get to feel it, talk it. And all of the kids went back to their parents excited about that 360 tour and it, it gave them a connection to our environment. And so out of that um, fishing camp, those kids received their fishing licenses. Oh, they, fun. yeah, they, um, now they were demanding um, workshops around water careers and not just the water careers. Um, one young lady wants to be a diver because we know that those things go along with our water careers. And it, 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 it made the parents realize, oh, this is something different. And so my role in this started with a with a conversation with a with a with a child. So our children are paying attention. All of our children are not bad. You just have to expose them mm-hmm. to something different. And I love the concept of that camp where you teach kids about the environment by actually taking them fishing. So mm-hmm. you're like, these are the species that live in freshwater. These are the species that live in saltwater, and kind of understanding that confluence. Yeah, fish don't come from the grocery. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, great. You got. A lot of things going on and some exciting things happening uh, this week. So we want to talk about that when we're back after the break with Angela Chalk, Healthy Community Services. We'll be right back on Delta Dispatcher. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products and our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. 
Angela, it is time for the fun question fun that we ask everyone on Delta Dispatches. I promise it'll be a good one. I don't know. Last <laughs> last week, he gave our um, guest from CPRA a pretty hard time. It was a little bit of a grilling. But I will say this, that Erin promised to bring us some chowder. Okay. Yes. <laughs> She's from uh, Massachusetts. So okay. I had to ask her, does she prefer chowder or gumbo? And oh, it was a tough, a wow. tough question. I mean, Jacques yeah. strikes, Yours is gonna strikes be... at the heart. You hear me? So... <laughs> Yours will be a little bit more, uh, you know, you gentle. You're going, as we say, for the white yeah. meat. <laughs> um, so obviously I like to ask food questions because we're in New Orleans <laughs> talk about that um, you know for me food connects me to my family um, so I'm curious for you like what is that recipe or that dish that just like brings you back connects you to your family your community oh, that's uh, easy yeah yeah. smothered okra with shrimp mm. smoked sausage and three chicken wings that's all I need three chicken wings all right <laughs> So we're coming, Simone and I are coming over to dinner soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are the chicken wings part of the? Oh, no, that's a side oh, that's dish. A side. Yeah, that's a side dish. Yeah, no. Uh, I love anything I love with three. shrimp and okra. Um, yeah. 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 And um, it's coming up on summer. So Do you grow the, okra? I tried growing it last year, but the it's heat difficult. was so brutal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just go to a local vendor because it's already chopped up. I'm sorry. I'm taking the easy way out. But I do make it the same way that my mom makes it. So what's your favorite vegetable to grow um it would have to be peppers because peppers are easy mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and you can peppers. put that in a lot of things yeah too. yeah so let's talk about um you're an incre- incredibly busy woman um and the future looks no different <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's kind of hit on some of the things that you're working on let's talk about lead the coast Okay, Lead the Coast is um, an introductory. Well, it's going to have three levels. We have an introductory um, level so that people can get to understand what it is to live in a coastal um, area. And so there are courses that are coming up, introductory courses, and you can find that information at foundationforlouisiana.org to get involved with that. And from that, if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can go on to the cohort. And the cohort is a paid cohort over a four-week period. A stipend is provided. And then if you want to get even deeper than that, you can go on to the fellowship level, which is a six-month fellowship. And that comes with a $5,000 stipend for that part. And so I encourage people from all disciplines, not just environmentalists, from all disciplines to get involved, to understand how our coast is impacting us both at the coast and in urban areas. So that's not just in New Orleans, it's other places as well. It's a six parish area, um, Arlene's, Jefferson, St. Bernard, St. Tammany, Terrebonne, Plaquemines, and is that six? Yeah. That's close enough. That's close enough. Yeah. I'm like look I'm like staring at her being like, Oh, St. John, I'm sorry. Where do you John, put Saint all John. that information? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so you have so much And so head. one more time, if people are interested, they can go to foundationforlouisiana.org and it's called Lead the Coast. And so you are part of a very exciting challenge um, that's <laughs> happening this week through Propel- Propeller Pitch Nola Water Challenge. Tell us a little bit about that. It's Propeller and the Greater New Orleans Foundation. Judge? No, no I'm, a pitch- I'm a challenger. I'm pitching. <gasps> That's yeah, awesome. I'm pitching. And so we're pitching to um, plant more trees in the seventh ward so that we can both reduce the heat island effect and study the measures of the uptake of water for trees. So we're doing a two for if we win, it'll be a two for. And then um, we have the partnership with the American Geophysical Union and Tulane Center for Public Services. Uh, I hope I said that right. They will measure and monitor the air and um, surface temperatures as well as the uptake. 
and so that funding, if we get it, will provide for the, for that um, initiative. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> congratulations. I think you know who we're rooting for. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. So it's, it's one night you make. Tell us about how the structure of the It's pitch one is. night. There are six of us who are finalists that will be competing. And I hate to use that term because everyone is great at what they do in, in the challenge. And so we will be presenting our challenges around water. That's exciting. That, that would make me nervous. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Angela clearly doesn't get nervous. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. You just don't see it. <laughs> I mean, well, you also, I mean, are hosting a WaterWise Green Infrastructure 101 workshop. So this is kind of getting back to what we were talking about early in the show in terms of things that you can do um, in, maybe in your backyard. So tell us a little bit about that. And so in order to become a neighborhood champion, um, WaterWise Golf sought with the collaborating partners of Dana Brown and Associates Global Green Recharge NOLA, the Greater Trimming Consortium in Upper Ninth Ward, along with Healthy Community Services. I had to put everybody in there. <laughs> We're teaching our residents in our neighborhoods how they can do it from small scale to medium scale. And so participating in the workshops, you participate in the workshop, take a tour and a vision to see what you want in that neighborhood. And with funding, we can um, provide projects with the neighborhood champions and then they get people to come in. To, to do those projects on their property along with um, the techni technical support that we have. And so to date, due to that funding that we have, we have seven projects in the ground and we're harvesting right at about 3,000 gallons of water in the 7th Ward. In the Treme, it's a little bit more uh, because just at the Treme Center alone, they're harvesting 9,000 gallons of oh, wow. water. So we're, we're putting projects in the ground. We're making those, those incremental changes, and neighbors are becoming green. And they, they're, they're not just talking to talk. They understand what's going on to reduce that flooding in our neighborhoods. It's so exciting to see, you know, I mean, obviously through you and a lot of the work that you've been doing, but just around the city, the number of organizations, the number mm -hmm. of efforts and projects that are happening to, you know, tackle the challenges that we're facing, but you know, they're so hopeful and they're, it's like, it's, we're realizing opportunities more so than yeah. tackling challenges. And I mean, I think it's a reflection of, of your work, Angela and healthy community services, um, as, as for others, but yeah, we're in a really exciting place right now in our city's yeah, history. Yeah, because we live in a 300 year old city and the, inf the great infrastructure, the pipes, the drains, the levees, those are no longer just the, the sole barrier. We have to look at other ways and we might as well go back to what works. And that's, um, living with water and, and living in a sustainable native way. Do you think that's part of being resilient or does that mean something different to you? It, it means that we will build resilient communities by doing what we know works best. Certainly we need the levees to control the floodings that, that first, the reason why we put those levees up there, but they have to work in conjunction. Neither one is good by themselves. They have to work in conjunction. And one last question. I just, I'm so curious from your perspective, because I feel like people have different definitions of this. But for you, what does resilience mean? Resilience means being able to maintain what you have as a community and in, in integrating what we need to, to live for the future. It's a great answer. And it's I like it because it's like straightforward mm -hmm. and just really a um, matter of fact. Well, Angela Chalk, Healthy Community Services, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on because, I mean, I feel like in a week we'll probably have a whole new show worth of content to talk about. Well, you have to keep us posted on the pitch. Sure. Yeah. And you can find us on um, Twitter at Services Healthy. And our website is www.hcsnola.org. 
All right. Excellent. Well, good luck. I'm sure you'll have no issue, you know, effectively pitching the project, <laughs> but we still wish you the best nonetheless. And thank you so much for being on because we know you're very, very busy. And we loved having you in studio. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to my funders, Kresge, the Institute for Sustainable Commun- uh, Communities, Ganav, and Foundation for Louisiana. Awesome. They believe in us. Well, they have a lot to believe in. So, um, well, that was another great show. I mean, I love whenever we can talk about communities because, you know, as Angela so clearly um, articulated and powerfully articulated, you know, it's so much more than a graph or a chart or a map. You know, these are people, these are their lives and their histories and their families. Um, and yeah, that was a wonderful show. So thank you. Um, and thank you all for listening. You can go online, deltadispatches.org and check us out, catch up on old uh, episodes. And we look forward to chatting with you more next week. Bon voyage.